0: Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald, this is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. Does August mean that we're nearly at the end of the summer? The heat outside would say no, but this is the first podcast of the month. Uh, it is business as usual in Dubai. There's still activities. Smashy Food, our vertical about the F&B sector, was a media partner at the Zamato Abu Dhabi and Dubai Restaurant Awards for 2023 out on the Taj in the Palm. During the week, I went there myself. Uh, Love and Dubai were also present. It's quite a cool event. Uh, well done to the team at Zamato for bringing the whole industry together. Uh, this interview this week is about the HR sector. Uh, I know the founder for a long time in Dubai. His background is of uh, high quality companies and delivering uh, really good results with Deliveroo and Cloud Kitchen company as well. Uh, and you know, if you like this interview, you can check out similar interviews in the sector, one with Bayzat and another one with Remote Pass more recently. So enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. Today we are joined by Yusuf Alberkawi, co-founder and CEO of Alfi, I hope I didn't butcher that, a digital HR management software for startups and SMEs, uh, offering a place to manage employee data, payroll and time off. So today we're gonna hear about Alfi, how they came up with the name, the story about it, how they launched it, uh, the marketplace and competition in general and plans for the future.
1: future. Good morning Yusuf. Uh, Richard, good morning. Very good to see you, and good job on the last name as well. I think you really nailed that one. I, so, yeah.
0: I, I wasn't confident saying it. I think maybe <laughs> if I had it with confidence, I would have got it. No, but no, yeah, you, you got it right. You got it right. Cheers, um, good to see you again. Good uh, see
1: you. Tell us a little bit about Alfie. Great So Alfie, uh, well, actually I think today is from the holding company perspective is our one year birthday. I would say maybe that that's that's, that's today. Cool. So it did launch a little bit we did start a little bit earlier than that. but um, Alfie is it's an HR management uh, platform uh, designed primarily for uh, small and medium businesses to really manage through the full employee life cycle from the point of hiring, uh, bringing an employee on board, and then all of the kind of operational points from pre-boarding, onboarding, payroll, time off, and kind of everything in between. So what I really wanted to do is to build uh, a very easy to use, user-friendly software, built just like a consumer product would be, uh, but also solving uh, kind of these very uh, repetitive and complex uh, day-to-day uh, operating questions that businesses of all shapes and sizes face. Okay, so you,
0: you set the business up a year ago in Dubai. Yeah. It's in this sort of uh, you know software as a service space yeah. and it's for the HR sector. Yes. How, how did you sort of spot that that was an
1: opportunity? So I've been an operator for uh, a very big chunk of my career, and during that time, I've hired and managed uh, well over a thousand people, and uh, a lot of the problems that we're trying to solve with Alfie today were problems I faced firsthand as an operator, and I was very much in the market trying to find a solution for these problems. So take a step back, you know, about three years ago, um, I was COO at a company, and, and we had a mandate to launch a lot of right now, very highly recognizable brands in uh, in Dubai, and we hired about six hundred people over the course of ten months, wow. and it was across three countries. And the amount of administrative work that went into all of that was was quite uh, daunting, as you can imagine. And obviously, immediately, you know, the, my head of HR kind of came to me and she said, like, look, we really need to kind of figure, we need to graduate from Excel and, and Google Sheets at this point, good as they are, but we need something a bit more systematic. Um, And yeah, that's kind of when it all started as a procurement exercise. And then as you work your way through your way uh, down the list, some really good products, but there was always something that I thought was either missing or not kind of missed the point. It didn't really meet our uh, expectations. And yeah, that was the seed that was planted. And that kind of thought kept on swirling. And I, you know, a couple of years worth of digging and and trying to buy a product. And uh, that's when I knew that I wanted to do something. I recognized that this is... Uh, a problem that I have really uh, deep insights into and I have a little bit of a different take on it and some thoughts as to how it could be done better. And that's how Alfie came about.
0: And was it a case of, you know, exactly as you said, or was there also a case of, uh, I've had a really long distinguished career, I've worked in startups, I've worked in uh, F&B and other areas. Uh, and now uh, I want to do something, but I don't know what it is. Or was it like, hey, this needs to happen. Someone better do it. <laughs>
1: and
0: um, maybe I'll step in. So it's
1: a really good question. Um, look, for me, uh, this isn't my first startup, right? Like I've I've been through it before, whether my own or someone else's. I've also worked at multinationals. I've kind of seen a bit of both. What, but what I am at heart is a builder. What I am at heart is I love that kind of zero to one transition that you can go through with, uh, with with anything. And. Um, it's It's not to say that there wasn't an opportunity, and I definitely recognized it and wanted to go after it. Uh, there was there was an element of that. There was an element of I wanted to build something. Uh, and it just kind of all comes together, right? It's the whole stars aligning kind of cliche. So all of these things kind of came together, uh, the problem, uh, my um, uh, you know my excitement to do something, and of course, my experience, kind of all of these things came together to to align kind of to this uh, to this one point. Okay, how did the name Alfie come about? Uh, it's a pretty good one. Um, so I don't know if you're a Batman fan at all, uh, but for me, Batman is a very central figure. I'm you know, almost 40-year-old man saying that, but, but that's okay, I'll just own it. <laughs> uh, but um, Batman is a very, very kind of central figure in in, in my childhood. It was the first uh, movie that I've ever went to see in the cinema that I could remember, going with my dad, the Michael Keaton Batman, remember, with with Tim Burton and and Jack Nicholson as the Joker. And that, for me, was, uh, I just was obsessed. And that just kind of really (laughs) set me down the road. Um, And yeah, it was just kind of always a central figure. And there was one character in that universe that always stood out to me, and that was Alfred the Butler. And I don't know how well you know your Batman history, but really without Alfred the entire story never happens and Alfred was the um really the the caretaker and the pushing force but the story is never really about Alfred he was there to enable that entire uh character and that entire arc to happen so Alfie is a bit of an homage to to Alfred the butler from Batman and it is that uh, kind of character that's in the background enabling great things to happen without you know really being center stage of the story and Alfie in many ways is there to kind of help companies really take care of their employees and and really look after them and provide them with you know best-in-class services uh, from from an administrative and 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 Uh, managerial level and really just opening up that space and really saving them so much time that will then enable them to focus on the things that really move the needle, whether it's from a culture perspective or hiring or training, uh, just so that kind of these repetitive and extremely time-consuming tasks Hmm. are taken care of in a very easy and and simple manner. Amazing. So So talk to us a little bit
0: about what does it take to build a HR management platform? Is it like, is it super hard? Is it like a social network? Do you have many engineers? Yeah. You know, and from a point of view of you know people who receive job offers or yeah. people who are working HR departments, uh, you know, many people might know what's actually what the features are and yeah. the complexity of it. So, wh- how hard was it? Was
1: it as hard as you thought it would be? So, there's so much that that really goes into it, uh, and and I'll try to unpack a few things in in, in uh, good timing. So. The best metaphor I've, I've heard about this—it's kind of like um, building a, a tunnel. Uh, it, you're really kind of going in through one side of the mountain and coming out the other. It doesn't matter what you use, whether you use a pick or a shovel or you use a you know a huge kind of industrial. Uh, sized robot to kind of dig that hole, it's still, you still have to go in one side of the mountain and come out the other. So what I mean by that is there is still a substantial amount of work to be done because it's a compound product. It doesn't just do one thing, right? It's going to need to manage uh, payroll, uh, org charts, who reports into whom, how do you onboard someone, how do you manage their documents? So there's just a lot of these uh, moving pieces that really have to come together. And that takes time. Uh, So this is just on a very surface. If you dig a little bit deeper, this is where there's a combination of opinions of how things should look, how they should operate. But then there's also the ease of use that you would have to build into that. Um, Doing that doesn't just require a, a very high level of engineering and thinking, but also requires hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of user research and interviews and that's something that we have also invested very heavily in. As much time as we invest in building the product, we also want to invest at least an equal amount of time in speaking to the people using the product as well because this is how we've interpreted what their problem is and how we can solve it. But until you actually put the product in their hands and then you can see like, have I actually solved their problem? So the investment is not just in building the product but understanding what should we build, and then after you build it, how has this been received? So there's definitely a, a very high level, a very high barrier of entry, a very high level of complexity, just to build something that people can use. And, and especially if you're targeting, in a lot of cases, you know, a founder who's managing the product, he might he or she might not have the full expertise to know what uh, how things should work that product should really help you know again alfred the butler right that mm. product should really kind of step in and actually hold their hand through what they need to do uh, and that takes a lot of work to do as well okay so
0: i'll just ask a question then we work backwards again so it's a year in it's yeah. it's the second third uh, be live on the yeah. fourth of august uh and what, uh, is there, are there businesses live I assume yes. that there are Yes. Yes. and uh, what
1: services are they using now how, is that, how does it work so Alfie today offers again as I mentioned kind of the main points of of a user's of a employee's journey if you want to call it that so whether that is pre-boarding so that's signing an offer letter collecting your documents your key information that your company would need to process your visa get you up and running set you up with a company email all these things that usually happen through a, a WhatsApp or an email tennis match between the employee and they soon to join employees. So pre-boarding, onboarding, getting you up and running. And then once you're part of the company, whether it is uh, shifts and scheduling for retail and F&B, that's kind of a a very big sector for us, or whether it is managing payroll, uh, expenses, really just kind of all of these kind of uh, HR operations side. And of course, we're deploying at a very fast rate. We deploy every week. So we're talking today, if we're talking in a month, you're gonna see some new New features features coming along as well. Uh, So, but these are kind of the main points that, that we have touched on so far. And
0: uh, you know the interesting thing about say the category that you're yeah. in, and we'll talk a bit more about that is, you know, if we say HR, there can be many different parts. Yeah. Like just the description that you use yeah. there. You know, yes, it's replacing Excel, but there might be a software for signing the document. There yeah. might be another software for something else. Yeah. So does that mean that you're sort of? Uh, you know, the people who are managing procurement are looking at the prices of all these different software, yeah. and then they compare it with yours, and they say, okay, is this a cost per employee yeah. amount, um, but then maybe I'm replacing something else that I'm paying separate
1: for. Technology has always had these kind of cycles of expansion and contraction, right? Uh, You're familiar with Craigslist? Yeah. So Craigslist is Airbnb, Facebook, it, like Air- at Craigslist, if you really look at it, is like 10 different products. And then you have these products that come in and do like this single point solution, but they do exceptionally well. Take Slack, for example. So that's what uses our internal communication tool. It just does that one thing, but now it's adding you know, video calls and, and transcription and all these things. So they, they, it's trying to branch out of that. Every problem that we're solving, there is a single point solution for it out there. Uh, but there's also similarly... uh, um, software like us that just tries to be a little bit more horizontal with that. There's obviously pros and cons to both, but for me, a user experience that is unified across these many different touch points, for me trumps, you know, every single product has a different onboarding process, maybe different price point, uh, different way of using it. And sometimes people just, quite frankly, will forget or maybe just onboarding a new employee that comes in into every single tool that you're using that can you know, add additional work. So for us really building a product that solves for these uh, points in a way that is at least as good as if not even better as some of these you know, best in class single point solutions, that's really what we want to go after. So our focus is to build a product that doesn't do a hundred things, maybe does four, five, six things, but does them so exceptionally well that you know, it doesn't really leave you wanting for, you know, at least the, in the things that they do, at at least where there are things that maybe we think look this is going to be a very you know deep rabbit hole to go down if we want to solve that problem we'd say like okay maybe that's not something where we want to focus our energy right now but yeah so that kind of compound product that's where we think at least the market is headed people want something that's more economical but also uh, has a very uh, delightful kind of user experience as well and that's kind of the sweet spot that we're trying to hit
0: Interesting. And when you were researching like the price points and yeah. the commercial business model, was it obvious from the start or did you go through different ideas and where are you today on that?
1: So the the price point is, you know, I've, I've really tried to educate myself on that one topic as much as possible. Obviously, you want to try to work from the bottom up, right? Like what is the price that makes the most sense? Uh, but then you have to think, okay, well, am I going to get 10,000? 20,000, 100,000 employees. So all of these problems kind of start to play against each other. And what you really come out of it realizing is that pricing is much more of an art than a science. And with that in mind, you know, what we really wanted to tackle first and foremost is to make sure that our product is priced attractively for the segment that we're trying to tackle. What we don't want is for the price to be a barrier of entry. If you look at some of the much, much bigger companies in our space, you know, we're talking about a price point that in some cases could be you know, in the hundreds of dirhams or dollars in some cases per user. You can't really expect a company that has you know, 40, 50 people or even like two, 300 people, that's a pretty sizable investment to have to make. And that just kind of prices them out out of, uh, out of the usefulness of this product right away. So look, obviously we're a business at the end of the day, so our unit economics have to make sense. So it's really about you know trying to thread the needle in a way of how do you do something that it still kind of speaks to that wider audience that you would try to to service and how but and then the second thing is how can i provide them with that price point without compromising on the quality of product and things like that so we ended up making a lot of choices whether from a design or product perspective that allow us to deliver the service but also to deliver it at a price point that we know is extremely competitive in the market mm. um, That will evolve, that will change, of course, with with time as you have to, and you adjust to kind of how the market is reacting to your pricing. Uh, So yeah, look, speaking with so many founders in this space and and others, we found that there are some formulas that you can follow, but if that was the case, everybody would follow it, and then you look around and you see that's that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. And
0: so, what what have you ended up with now? Uh, like you, you kind of alluded to that yeah. there's F and B and and you know you mentioned the start SMEs. Like, is the do you reveal how many companies are on at the moment? And if not, like, what's the split? Like, where's the are there sas comp- Are there other startups on it? Are there F and B?
1: Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. yeah. So um, from from a pricing point, the kind of our introductory pricing, what we started at was 10 dirhams per employee per month. And that again, that's an introductory pricing. That's something that we wanted to enter the market with. We wanted to really get a lot of validation with that. And then with time, as I mentioned, that, that will that will evolve. Um, overall, we've had a uh, little over 300 companies that have signed up to, to the product so far. Well uh, in terms of... So there's the volume of companies and then there's the volume of seats, right? So these are kind of two different things, right? So <clears throat> in terms of volume of companies, we've seen the biggest adoption among uh, your technology or technology powered businesses. So. You know, Augustus Media, for example, would be under the technology-powered businesses. Uh, So this is what we've seen the biggest uptick in terms of number of companies. But in terms of number of seats, what we've seen is something a little bit different. So in manufacturing and facilities management and hospitality, not really segments that, if you asked me a year ago, we were targeting, but each one of those that I mentioned, a single company could be well over a thousand seats just for for a single company. So this is just kind of the big split that that we're seeing. And obviously with time, we'll see where's there more gravity in terms of of needs and requirements, and we'll make sure that our product uh, follows that path. Interesting. And
0: do you have co-founders and how how is the business structured? Yeah. So I have two
1: co-founders. We have uh, Dina, who is our CTO and Becky, who is our CMO. Uh, all three of us, uh, not too long ago, were actually competing with each other in, in our respective jobs. Um, and all of us come from uh, very well-established consumer product backgrounds um, here in, in the UAE. Uh, yeah, so we, we've known each other, we've worked with each other uh, in, in some cases. And yeah, that's kind of what, what led us uh, to to kind of bring this together with one kind of principle that we really all wanted to bring Um with whatever it is that we're going to build. Uh, we came from companies that obsessed over the customer journey, obsessed over um, you know what the, the user is experiencing every time that they're using the product. And given the space that we we're in, where we found that the user journey and the and, uh, customer experience was kind of bottom of the totem pole when it came to priorities and how the product was built. So we wanted to bring these kind of consumer product um, mindset and, and way of thinking towards just uh, how you approach developing the product and we wanted to bring that into an enterprise uh, space which was kind of an interesting crossover to manage and it's good that all three of us definitely have uh, the same mindset when it comes to how we want to build this product and how we want to build this business as well. And did it, did you
0: it's a nice mix of you yeah. know marketing CEOs at yeah. uh, CTO did, did you then build out teams or did you license some software in advance did you code everything and how
1: did you kind of go about that? We did not outsource a single line of code. That is one thing that um, Dina and I had agreed on from very, very early on. Um, There are obviously pros and cons to doing that. Uh, The very big con is that, you know what, maybe you're gonna develop a little bit slower. If you go out, and there's a lot to to choose from in terms of development companies and development shops that you can go with, but the downside is that should something need to be changed, or be fixed, or maybe it doesn't meet your expectations. There's cost implications to that. And quite frankly, in some cases, you don't control the full quality of the product yourself. You're completely outsourcing it. So we felt very strongly about, no, we're gonna build this entire thing from scratch. Yes, that's the harder path, but we build a product that we know what's going into it. We feel uh, this quite frankly, solves for a better user experience. Uh, things break, doesn't matter if you build it or somebody else builds it, things break no matter what you do. So we wanted to make sure we knew how it was built so that if and when something doesn't go as expected, that we know exactly what needs to be done to fix it. So we just made it a point to, to build everything in-house and we have done so from day one. Amazing. And sort of, uh, where did you set up the business? Which FreeZoner? So we are based, our our operating company is based in JLT and Astrolabs, actually, you know, you're, uh, you know, we were just talking about that earlier. Where we started also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Astrolabs is, is our home. Yeah. Uh, for the operating company. And then we established a holding company in uh, ADGM, Abu Dhabi. Okay, yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah, and obviously, and that's where we met first, where yeah, you were involved, and yeah. In. Yeah. So it's cool. It's good to see, and you mentioned that your co-founders are also yeah. from UAE. It's nice to see that sort of uh, proper sort of Dubai-UAE startup. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this is kind of for later in the interview, but do you see it as a sort of a Dubai-based startup that can potentially go global, or is it more of a,
1: at least for now, a regional focus? Um... The ambition is, of course, to have something that has a you know a much wider reach. One of the things that we're starting to see, at least over the last couple of years, and I'm speaking with a couple of VCs, this has come up quite a bit, which is we're now at this point where we want to export to the world. It's not just you know we want to bring things in and try to make them fit into this market. Uh, so there's definitely the the problem that we see in this uh, space as far as the user journey is involved, etc. This is not just something that local products uh, happen to, to have. This is something that we also looked at products in Europe, in the US, et cetera. Uh, so we definitely do have that ambition, but you know, you crawl and then you walk and, and, and then you run. Uh, so definitely we want to make sure that, you know, we get the UAE right, we get Saudi right. You know, these are kind of the markets that we want to get right. And once you do that gives you the launching pad and, and gives you all the capabilities that now enable you to go and try to solve a similar problem in, in other markets. But our ambition is is definitely there, yes.
0: Uh, and, you know, how has fundraising gone? Like you mentioned VCs and, mm. and global approach. Like it's obviously been a bit of a difficult sort of year, 18 months globally mm. in, the, in the VC landscape. But in the region, there's a lot of startup energy. People There tends to be, you know, in the tech space, there yeah. tends to be appetite to invest. Is that how you experienced it
1: or? God, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, look, I want to, this is a, a subject that is quite frankly very divisive and it's a very emotionally packed subject for a lot of people and for good reason too. Um, I want to just, if you don't mind, I just want to take a very big step back and and this is kind of what I've you know been doing this for some time and this is what I've, I've come to understand. You know, there's a saying kind of show me the incentive I'll show you the result. And one thing that, let's take 2020, 2021 out of the equation. Those were extreme outliers by every measure from a funding VC startup environment. Money was very cheap, basically. It, just, it was just being, yeah. you know, uh, quite frankly, thrown around. You've been in this market for long enough and a lot of, you know how difficult it was for companies to fundraise before 2018. That wasn't that long ago, so you know what it was, how difficult it was like back then. So there is a, a case to be made that things have normalized, so we, we can take that. But if you want to, the, the reason I mentioned incentives is VC model by, by definition, it bets on very big outcomes, right? It's betting on that billion-dollar company that is going to come through the door, that is going to come at like, you know, that $100,000 check is going to be, you know, whatever else it is. They're looking for these fund returners or kind of like these very outsized outcomes, To do that, you're going to need to, you know, make certain bets and bets on companies that are solving, you know, a very big kind of global scale problem or a very big, uh, maybe local scale problem, right? So let's kind of take that on one side. Now, for startup founders, why are they building companies? If you're building companies to make a lot of money and that's kind of how you want to get rich, I have news for you. It doesn't, you know, most of the time it doesn't work out that way. Um, You're building something because you want to solve a problem. You saw an opportunity and that's kind of why you started everything that you have started. We saw also a problem and an opportunity and wanted to start that. Sometimes the problem that you want to solve is not potentially a billion-dollar company. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Unfortunately, those two things cannot meet in the middle there are some problems that are definitely worth solving and definitely worth the personal time investment that you need to put into that. But that's not a VC-backable business. And there's a lot of that over here. Mm. Um, So this, for me, is kind of a central point that I've really kind of come to understand is that just because you are solving a deep and meaningful problem that has some level of scale, that might not be what it maybe is... Uh, going to give a lot of VCs that kind of really big uh, moonshot uh, solution that they're looking for. So this, I just want to make sure I lay that because there is almost an expectation, like, you know, um, uh, I don't want to say a sense of entitlement that makes it sound a lot worse than it is, but just because you're starting a company, first of all, nobody owes you anything. Right? You have to show, you have to show that you can execute, you have to show results, you have to show that you're solving a big and meaningful enough problem in some cases mm-hmm. uh, to be kind of attractive to VCs. And um, so yeah, this for me kind of is where it separates. But the funding environment is definitely exceptionally difficult at the moment. Um, we can get into kind of why that is the case, but I, I can't tell you that our journey has been uh, an easy one. There's definitely been a lot of learnings, and and again, as I mentioned, how much time do you have? We can really get into that. Um, but look, there are you don't need VC money. That's just the, the the biggest kind of piece of advice that I would give. Doesn't mean you don't need funding, by mm. the way. If you can afford to try to build a product while you have some source of income, that's great. If not, there are alternatives, and there's quite a few. And definitely can get get into that. VC funding, there you need to fit certain criteria. And if you don't, unfortunately, that it's going to be a very difficult conversation for you to have. And the stories can be different for people. Like people can. Some companies think
0: that, as you mentioned, VC that, that you need a lead VC to go through the different rounds yeah. with you. But uh, it can happen at different times. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but you know, from from your your, you know, when was the first sort of brick in the in the ground or line in the sand, sort in of terms of funding or in terms just of in general the idea or the like the business idea?
1: So the, the idea was was planted, I would say, uh, like when we really kind of came together, I would say it was around May last year. So that's uh, quite quick then, yeah. isn't it? And, you're, and you were live in a
0: few months with a beta, and yeah. then you 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 now have hundreds of companies yeah.
1: using software. So that's quite good. Uh, I mean, you put it that way, yes, it's, <laughs> it's definitely that. I mean, and in, in my mind, then this is, again, something that I'm, I'm sure you experience as well, uh, you're always thinking about, like, what's what's the next, you know, what's the next 10, 12 yeah. months going to happen? Okay. Kind of looking back, when you look back at it, yes, you know, you definitely you know, very, very thankful and grateful for the progress that we have managed uh, to make over that period. Uh, but we also know that we're just barely scratching the surface. Over Like, if I mm-hmm. show you, like, what is kind of our founding document and what is the vision of what we want to build, you know, we're not even at 1% yet. So right. there's a lot more that we want to do. That's yeah. good. And did you, ra- did you raise seed rounds? I did. We actually just announced our, um, even though we did it much earlier in the year, yeah. but uh, we had just announced it uh, a few weeks ago. So we had raised a pre-seed round of, of $2.5 million. That's a nice
0: amount for a pre-seed round. So yeah. in your sector, it, like in the region, it's quite good, yeah. right?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, again, depends when, like in context, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, there's stories of like literally like the backup napkin or like kind of WhatsApp chats resulting in like, you know, $5 million checks a few yeah. years ago. Um, but yeah, look, for, for a company at our stage, you know, we're pre-revenue when we raised that. Uh, but, you know, we had shown that we're a team that can execute. Uh, look, a lot of investors invest in lines, not dots, right? So a lot of these conversations took time and we went from an idea and a pitch deck to a product and users and kind of all of that. So when they see that progress, there's definitely Mm. uh, very attractive. That's not everything, of course, there's a lot more to it. But uh, yeah, just kind of showing progress and showing you can execute is a very kind of attractive thing that you can show to any type of investor, angel, VC, really whatever kind. And you're confident
0: enough when every listener to this podcast, all like a thousand business owners come onto your platform this weekend and all sign up, like they're going to be happy with what they see. Well, they know where to find me right now <laughs> if, they're, if they're not happy but yeah. I, I kind of say that in jest yeah. but what i mean is like you know it's ready to take on a number of companies oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and do you find that uh i know you kind of broke down the mm. type of companies that you had before yeah but in this region are people migrating off other hr software or is this the first
1: hr software that they've sort of moved off of excel sheets and things so every startup there's always the why now question that you would have to answer, right? And really the big why now for us wasn't just, like we're not, you know, quite frankly, inventing the category. The category has been here and there are companies doing this for, you know, quite some time now. There's a few big things that are happening. The digitization of businesses is happening at such a a fast rate. If you take the the bulk of businesses in the region, it's not multinationals. It's, you know, these family-owned businesses. And Sometimes it could be a conglomerate of family-owned businesses. And a lot of businesses that are passing down from parents to children or from one generation to the next. And Richard, the amount of businesses that we walk into and talk to that are still, you know, wish it was Excel. It was still, you know those big folders with the the holes in them? There's still that, you know, there's still pieces of paper and there's still a lot of that happening. There's one company that we're speaking to at the moment. It's uh, it's a facilities management and irrigation company. It's a a 50 some, you know, 40 some odd year old company. Uh, It's almost 2,000 employees and it's, Barely Excel sheets at this point, and kind of they're looking to to come on board uh, you know with with migrating from basically not much at all. The penetration rate for the category that we're in is very, very low. We're talking about low single digits. so there's definitely a lot of headroom to grow into and HR being a very local uh, problem, both from a compliance perspective, that's why it's important to be a local company, but also from a relationship perspective and just kind of sales cadence, it really helps uh, to be localized. So what's nice about Alfie is that you right now can open up your laptop, you can sign up and start using it straight away. You don't have to speak to anybody if you don't want to. Obviously we'll still reach out and make sure that you're, you're having a great experience. And that is as true as it is from a two person company all the way to a 2000 person company. The process is is quite seamless.
0: Interesting. And uh, in terms of HR in general, you said, what's your view on uh, software versus having a department? Does the does Alfie sort of uh, assist an existing HR department, or if some of these companies don't have HR departments and line managers and yeah. operations people that. Like, you you know, when people say, oh, we need HR, do they mean software for admin? I was talking to a a friend of mine recently and I asked them this question and they told me, well, from multinational, very, very, very big company. And they said, well, our HR team is basically client service for employees. That's all it does. It's like, you know, pay slips and salary uh, balance." Uh, documents and things like that but it doesn't actually do hr which is the career development part and the coaching and the training yeah so what's your sort of view on the investment here like should people you can be uh biased on this but should, should companies be investing in hr professionals to look after people or
1: should they be investing in software and where does the mix Go. So there's, there's the tool and there's the craftsman, right? Like the, these are kind of the two, uh, two pieces to it. And what you mentioned there is actually one of the kind of uh, root causes of this issue is that in a lot of cases, and this is, again, us speaking with hundreds of HR professionals, is that there's this uh, very wrong perception that it is purely an administrative role. I want to take you back to around March or April 2020, what was the one department that everyone looked to to completely overhaul how they work, how they can work remotely, employee well-being, mm. when things turned really sour? Mm. It wasn't you know, the accounting department or the sales department. that they obviously had their own things to, to worry about. It was the HR department that everybody turned to. And guess what? If all you have, quote unquote, reduced your HR department to or function to just a purely administrative one, you really struggled during that time. When you didn't have that level of expertise that sat there and said, here's how we look after our employees, here's how we make sure they're fine, here's how we make sure that they can still continue to be as productive as they are at home. That shift, which seems like it happened overnight to remote work, who managed that? Mm -hmm. Who made that, you know, this thing that, you know, don't wanna get into whether or not remote work is a good thing or a bad thing, but it is here and it is here to stay. And it was the HR departments all over the world that had to completely reimagine how we work and then everything that goes around that. So I don't think it's one or the other. Obviously, as with every business, you need to invest in what you need when you need it. I'm not a big fan of invest for it because you're gonna need it in the future. what alfie helps do is if you are a founder of a young company and you think maybe it's a little bit too early for us to kind of hire what is quite frankly a cost center in, in a lot of cases alfie is there to help you because it really helps simplify things if you're a company that is much more mature and grown and you've scaled up you know you're 100 150 plus and now those growing pains are starting to settle in and now you have a professional hr Uh, person on board, they're going to need the tools to be able to maximize that. Alfie is there to help them too. And so on with their journey. What we don't want Alfie to be is like, oh, that's the product that we need when we're 10 people. But when we're 100 people, we're going to look for something that is a bit more robust. No, we want to make sure that we're also kind of growing with you as you graduate through these stages.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I think one of the reasons I was asking that is, you know, if you're in charge of budgets for a company, you know, your role is sort of If you run a company, you're obviously then in charge of budgets, but it's sort of capital investment, and that can be with resources or it can be investing in software. And sometimes, if people are sort of being frugal, it's a choice. And sometimes, uh, you know, I I look at our sort of software bills and uh, they add up, right? And you kind of go, okay, every, every, you know, to your point, if it's cost per seat and you're Mm -hmm. planning on having. Uh, if you're 50 employees now and in five years time, you're planning on 300 employees then every, every decision you make, if it's a prestige, it's sort of, uh, versus then say, Oh, what if I hired three or four people in culture department? And, uh, we just, you know, yes, Excel or or Google sheets isn't great, but it's kind of like, well, what if we had our own system? Yeah. 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 It's kind of a balance, isn't
1: it? So, um, remember the story that came out a few weeks ago, um, Uh, there was uh, Shopify, you know, know the company very well. So their CEO came up with the meetings. He would put a cost. Yeah. So it depends on how many people you invite. There's a cost to that meeting. Yeah. Um, There's a cost to people. And they ban meetings or something. Yeah. And then they like, it depends, like there's some, some framework that they use to kind of make these decisions. Yeah. And it doesn't matter sometimes how many people you throw at the problem. You're just throwing more and more cost at the problem. At some point, you're going to need the tools to be able to... Because mistakes can be very costly. And when it comes to HR mistakes, if you make a mistake with someone's payroll, their benefits, their visa, you're talking about fines, you're talking about some additional things that really could come your way, which can be quite unpleasant, not to mention the effect that it has on on people when you get some kind of core important things uh, about their livelihood really wrong. So um, And look, people are, you know, people will, will make mistakes. That's okay. Everybody makes them. So like really what you want to do is to empower them in such a way and give them the tools that would really minimize these mistakes as much as possible, reduce the workload as much as possible. So now they're able to focus on the things that really move the needle, developing their people, making sure that, you know, the right onboarding, right kind of engagement, kind of all these things that you know are trying to reduce that workload. You might not feel it when you have 10 people you're going to feel it when you have, you're you going to have 100 people. So it, going back to that pricing question that we're having, mm. that's why I wanted to make sure that our pricing doesn't become the blocker yeah, here. Right. We want to make sure that pricing is, you know, we're talking about less than a cup of coffee per employee per month.
0: Mm.
1: So that kind of price, whether it is 10 people or, you know, 100 or 1,000 people, There are some tools that you're definitely paying way more than that, whether it's a productivity tool or kind of anything else like that. So I wanted to make sure we nailed that price point, you know, to the point where, look, at the end of the day, it has to make economic sense. Uh, It's not a charity at the end of the day. But um, you still want to make sure that you have something that can scale up and that the price is still going to continue to make sense as you kind of grow so that we can become your partner. A- having said that, you know, one thing that we've launched with as well is for startups that are under a certain threshold of employees, the product is actually for free. Hmm. And once they've crossed that threshold of number of employees, that's when billick kicks in. So if you're a five, six person company and you're thinking, well, I don't want to spend money on that. Great. We've got you too. Mm. Just come sign up and and, uh, it'll be free. You don't have to pay anything for it. That's really
0: good. Sounds like you thought it through. And you've got good answers for convincing (laughs) people. But, um, you know, so one of the things that I think where you guys, where a a software as a service platform, will do well is localizing in the region. Because yeah. many people, like you experienced when you were hiring those thousands of people, is there there are well-known names on the review section of yeah. Google for HR. Yeah. But all of them are sort of US-centric. Yeah. Uh, in terms of competition, you know, do you think that if 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 they open offices in Dubai and Saudi as you know as would as they could, yeah. uh, do you think that that's a threat, or do you think that people who started maybe a couple of years before you and some yeah. who have been on this show in the same category, yeah. do you think that they're a competitor, or are you, are you just going to give the static answer as We've, we we have no competition, we're just going no, to do no, our own no. thing? <laughs> it's
1: it's the whole classic, you know, what if Google does it, right? Like that that okay. uh, kind of question. Um, you, you're familiar with Whoop. Yeah. Okay. I, I love this product so much, and I love the company and the founders. Is, is just really exceptional. He's great. He's really good. Yeah. And he was up against Amazon, Apple, Google. Will Ahmed is yeah. It? Yeah. He was up against those. Like you could not put together a scarier list of competitors. If you competed against one of them, that's it. You're you're done. If you're competing against all of them at the same time and winning. For me, that's that something that is extremely inspiring. And he they carved um, on their most recent the Whoop 4.0. If you open it, there's an inscription in there, and it says, Don't copy us, we will win. And um, what I'm the reason I say that is of course, if it's worth doing, you're gonna have competition. what we're doing, we're not reinventing the wheel here. What we're doing has been done before, we have a unique Uh, point of view on it and we think it could be done in a certain way that is is better. Um, But, you know, we really have to believe in the problem that we're solving, the people that we're solving it for and just kind of really try to scale up from there. What happens if, you know, fill in the name kind of global giant comes into the market? Then, look, if and when that happens, uh, there have been quite a few playbooks in our region of companies facing that challenge and taking it head on and winning, Mm-hmm. Uh, if if nothing else, so it's not easy. Of course, that that's you know could be an existential threat if if you're not careful and if you don't know what you're doing. But for me, that isn't something that you know we spend too much time thinking about just yet. Uh, what we're super focused on right now is making sure that we build something that solves the problems that we believe our customers need to be solved right now. And if we continue to offer a great product and a great service, then you know the, the you can really grow with that. And if you know. Uh, Whoever kind of global giant really comes into the market and decides to make a play for it, the other fallback then becomes with B two B SaaS or just kind of B two you know enterprise solutions in general. Very rarely is uh, a winner take all mentality. There's always quite a few players for for a lot of reasons, um, and and that's something where you can always still kind of carve out a very kind of healthy. Uh, market share for you that could really kind of sustain the business as well. So there's more than one way, as you can see, I've really rationalized this thought quite a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, of course we have competition, local competition, which we have a lot of respect for. Um, but we think, you know, we have a unique insight on this and, and this is what we believe will help us win. So so it's not a zero sum game. Yeah.
0: There can be many, uh, yeah, B2B ca- companies, kind of many SaaS products on their roster on yeah, their yeah. Tech, tech stack. Um, what will help us win you mentioned what is winning is is it sort of do you want an exit? Do you want to be across the whole region? Do you do you, Yusuf, want to be running this business uh, in 15, 20 years' time? Uh, what's what's sort of winning? Wow, that's uh,
1: that's you know a, a very uh, pointed question. And for me you know, I was just actually talking with a, another founder about this this morning. And one thing that you find very quickly, like it's all good and well, like kind of having like this very kind of like long-term vision, that vision board, right? Like this is what you want to chase and whatever that looks like, whether it is financial or kind of anything else. Um, for me, the 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 ultimate version of that, a couple of things. First of all, I'm like you need to be focused on what's happening right here and now and kind of not let anything else distract you. But for me, it's building a product I'm proud of building yeah. a product that I'm happy uh, to have people use and that sounds like it's a pretty low bar but it really is exceptionally difficult uh, the founder of, of HubSpot you know, one of the most renowned names in, in CRM uh, you know he said it took almost 10 years for him to be proud of his product wow. so that you know it, it is a, a pretty fleeting thing to, to be able to achieve the the financial outcomes and all of these things Yes, of course, you know, who, if anybody tells you they don't care about, they're either lying or stupid. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, but that in and of itself, you can achieve that doing so many other things. You know, startups is a pretty difficult way to, to really be, to achieve, uh, to achieve that. So it's really just building something that I'm really proud of. I'm sorry, I know I'm going on, but there's one, there's one really uh, well-known restaurant um, on, on Hesse Street that in my previous employment uh, I had built. And Every single time that we drive Piatt, my daughter has to point at it and says, daddy built that. Every single, it doesn't matter how many times we've done that. That's cool. Uh, you know, I I really th- and that feeling is just I'm um, I'm I'm pretty addicted to that feeling. <laughs> I, I would like to relive that good, as well. Good yeah. answer. And so
0: in terms of we wrap up but in terms of the sort of roadmap. Yeah. Uh, you know, are your customers in UAE? What, what what's the expansion look like? Uh, obviously, it's a digital base, yeah. so you can yeah. get them from anywhere. But do do you imagine having?
1: Presence as Alfie as an organization yeah. in other markets. Yes, so Saudi is very much in in the roadmap as you know, you know, as with, uh, with uh, a lot of other people as well. Uh, so the UAE and Saudi are our two key markets uh, for us uh, throughout the rest of 2023 and early 2024. Uh, it's a pretty big undertaking, obviously, kind of taking on these two markets. But as I mentioned earlier, our roadmap is to be a product that is there for companies, you know, across the GCC and maybe the wider MENA region as well. And, you know, we we go from there. Uh, But, uh, yeah, we definitely have a very, very big ambition, but we don't want that to distract from, you know, the jobs to be done today as well. And you're optimistic about this region? I mean, if you had the choice to be anywhere else in the world right now, I don't really see why you wouldn't want to be here. Uh, You want to put together a stack of reasons of young population, Uh, Growing, extremely tech savvy. Uh, If you look at just the GDP figures, like was it like three or four out of the 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 highest growing, fastest growing economies in the world are are right here. Yeah, yeah. So you know you you have, and again as a family man, you have security. You know, there's so many reasons to really want to be here and really just bet on this uh, this region long term. Uh, there's obviously some things within our ecosystem and by that I mean the startup ecosystem that can be fixed but it takes time you know everybody talks about silicon valley it's been going on since the 70s yeah yeah how long has the kind of the entrepreneurial tech startup space really been taking hold in the region you know it's not that long so like we're still in the first you know innings of of what this could be so if there's anywhere you want to be in any sector you'd want to be in for the next you know 10 some odd years this is it amazing yeah for- Good point. Well answered. Thanks,
0: Yusuf, for coming on the show, and we'll follow
1: Alfie as it grows. All right. Fantastic. Thanks, Richard. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Great to see. You. I always talk about SaaS companies, and I'm always uh, delighted to see them doing well out of the region. So. Uh, Yusuf probably doesn't know how successful he's been so far but uh, you know to get something up and running and to get a product that stands up against uh, people who've been around a long time in the region and also internationally is really a good success so far Uh, so do check it out if you've got time this weekend. Thank you as always to our producers Shahir Al-Kindi and Ali Khalil for putting the show together, to the team at Love in Dubai who will write this up on the website and the team on Smashy Business who will cut this up and put it on Uh, vertical video across Instagram, TikTok, elsewhere. If you're listening on the podcast, please do uh, subscribe, uh, listen to a few more episodes, comment on Apple or elsewhere. And uh, yeah, do check out the apps as well, smashy.tv on uh, the web and then iOS, Android and any smart TV app as well, uh, check it out. And we'll be back next week, 11 o'clock. This was a Smashy business production as part of the Augustus Media Podcast Network.